Tonight is the 23rd of February in the year 2023. Alhamdulillah, we began the section last night in which we were discussing the bedrock of one's faith and that is with regards to sincerity. And the last thing I mentioned, which I'll mention again, is that such is the worth of sincerity that even the criminals will wish to return to the world to become amongst those who are sincere. In Surah Az-Zumr, Surah 39, verse 58, Allah the Almighty and Glorious, He mentions, or lest it says when it sees the punishment, if only I had another turn, so I could be amongst the muhsineen. So, again, something to reflect upon. Allah the Almighty and Glorious is mentioning that the criminals would not just want to come back to do good. They want to come back to be amongst the muhsins because they realize this is where the divine pleasure lies. Also, because the muhsinin are amongst the elite, <coughs> in Surah An-Nisa, Surah 4, verse 125, the Almighty and Glorious, he says, وَمَنْ أَحْسَنُ دِينًا مِمَّنْ أَسْلَمَ وَجْهَهُ لِلَّهِ وَهُوَ مُحْسِنٌ And who is better in his religion than the one who submits himself to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala whilst being a muhsin? So Allah the Almighty and Glorious, this is a rhetorical question. He's saying these are the best. They submit, they are Muslims and they are amongst the muhsins. And he also says in Surah Al-Ankabut, Surah 29, verse 69, Indeed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is with the muhsineen. So Allah's promise is that he is with those who are, those who are sincere. And in, in yet another passage, in Surah An-Nahl, Surah 16, verse 128, the Almighty and Glorious says, Verily Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is with those who have taqwa and the muhsinun. So note, in verses after verses, the Almighty and Glorious mentions some of the great honor which is decreed for those who are amongst the muhsins. So, and this is why in the famous hadith of Jibreel alayhi salatu wasalam, when he asked, what is Islam, what is Iman? And then he asked, what is Ihsan? And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasalam said that, that you go into a state where Allah ta'ala is observing you. Or he says that you are observing him to the nearest meaning. So this is the highest levels of, of Iman. Another glaring sign of those who are sincere is their veneration of their Lord in private. Hafiz ibn al-Jawzi in his Sifat al-Safwa, ibn Abi Adi, rahmatullah he said, Dawood ibn Abi Hind, rahmatullah he fasted for 40 years. 
but his family were unaware of it. He was a tailor who would take his lunch with him from home, but he would give it in sadaqah on his way, then return at night and break his fast with them, i.e. with their supper. So how did this righteous man manage to keep the fact that he's been fasting away from his own family? Again, you think it's impossible because they prepare the sahri, they prepare the iftar usually. So what he used to do, Dawood ibn Abi Hind, he would take his lunch with him. So they would think obviously, being a tailor, that he's going to have his meal during the day. But he would give that away secretly in sadaqah. <coughs> then when he would return at night, he would have his supper, or so they thought. But really he was breaking his fast. So why on earth was he hiding the fact that he was fasting from his family? No, you could argue, well, your family, you encourage them to fast, but this, that, but he's doing it for the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he did that for 40 years. And in fact, there's a report where the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam he said, whoever can keep a fast and nobody is aware of it, then paradise is his right. So this is something you should strive to do once in your life, to do a fast. Obviously, it can't be the fast of Ramadan. It's an optional fast. And you do it in a way nobody knows, not even your family. This man did it for 40 years. So why was he doing that? Because he was doing it for the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Indeed, it was such venerable souls who were fulfilling the following divine commands. Sayyidina Zubair radiallahu, he relates that our beloved messenger said, sallallahu alayhi wa let whoever is able to have a hidden share of righteous deeds Take their share of these righteous deeds. This is recorded by Hafiz Addiya and Shaykh Al-Bani Rahmatullahi authenticates it. So here, look how interesting. The Prophet specifically said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, you should try to get your share of hidden deeds. I think about that. He encouraged that. He goes, try to, before you meet your Lord, get your share of the righteous hidden deeds. And he was encouraging this. So what are these hidden deeds? So one is you're away from the eyes of the people. But the other is you're not telling them that you may be fasting, but you're hiding the fact that you're fasting. Therefore, Zubair, the narrator of the report, he echoed, prepare for yourselves a hidden share of righteous acts, just as you have a hidden share of evil acts. This is in Ahmed in his Zuhd. So what the great Zubair was saying, was that when you commit sin, naturally you do it in private, unless you've completely lost the plot. This doesn't mean you're happy, but at least you've shown some sort of ghayla to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that you're not encouraging others to commit the sin. So Zubair acknowledged that. Zubair radiallahu said, just as you've kept a hidden share of evil, because why then don't you keep yourselves a hidden share of righteous deeds? Look how beautiful that is. He's actually saying, at least be just. All those sins that you committed in private, at least, you know, do your righteous deeds, same amount in private. Conversely, Imam al-Junaid, he won't, rahmatullahi. Oh, ascetics, indeed you were only known by him, subhanahu wa ta'ala, and you were honored because of him. Thus, when you are alone, examine how you are with him, subhanallah. This is in Behaki, in Shu'ab al-Iman, 5-368. 
So Imam Junaid al-Baghdadi, Rahmatullah, he's addressing the ascetics. So the ascetics are those who are very close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he said to him, or said to them, you were only known by him, you were honored because of him. And it's true. Why are all these righteous souls honored? Because of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So he reminded them of that. Because it's not because of your deeds. Allah ta'ala has honored you because you have connected yourself to him. Then he said, those, because you've been honored by him, when you are alone, examine how you are with him. Look how beautiful he goes. You've been given honor by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So how should you therefore be with him when you are alone? This is, like I mentioned in Behaki, in Shu'abul Iman. Bilal ibn Sa'ad, rahmatullah, he won't. Do not show in public that you are a follower of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the mighty and majestic, whilst at the same time being his enemy in private. This is in Ahmad in his Zuhd, number 369. So one of the Salaf, he goes, this is actually a very dangerous state, that you're giving the impression to others that you're very pious. And in private, you're an enemy to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is why one of the Salaf actually said that it would be better for you to be an enemy to the people and be righteous in private. <laughs> so think about that. So let's say, everybody who sees you outwardly, <coughs> thinks that you're a bad person. So imagine a person like that. Everybody thinks, look, this person, he's lost the plot. You know, he's not a good person, this, that. Well, that same person, believe you or not, in private, he's righteous. The Salaf said he's better than the one who's righteous outside, but an enemy to Allah within. Think about that. So what is that? What is being, you know, you're not bothered about people. You know, stuff the people. You're not doing it for them. So what is that telling you? And this is why the famous verse we hear in the Jummah again and again, where Allah the Almighty and Glorious says, إِنَّ اللَّهَ يَأْمُرُ بِالْعَدْلِ وَالْإِحْسَانِ Verily, Allah Ta'ala enjoins upon you justice and ihsan. And then he continues the verse in Surah An-Nahl. One of the Salaf explained the verse, I think it was Sufyan ibn Ujjina rahmatullah. <coughs> he goes, If you are more righteous privately than you are publicly, you are amongst the muhsin. If you are equal, righteously, in private and in public, you are just. But, if you are righteous in public and worse in private, he goes, You're, you are a criminal. And he goes, this is the meaning of this verse, one of the meanings. So what he's telling you is, the ihsan is the highest level. Now think about that. How can you be more private, more Pious in private. Who you acting with? Who you're interacting with? And yeah, you can get to a stage where you're more righteous in private than in public. Then you are a muhsin. This is why when somebody asked our beloved mother, Umm Salama, what was Rasulullah at home? He goes, he was the same at home or even better than he was publicly. Why? Because he was the God, the imam of the God-fearing. So when you hear that he was at home, because he was more amazing, Umm Salama said, and when you would see him in, uh, in public. But obviously, look at yourselves. You can gauge yourselves thinking, what am I doing, astaghfirullah? Why am I giving this righteousness to people? You know, if you think about that, isn't that blatant real? You know, you're just giving the impression, as long as society thinks I'm a decent person, I'm happy with that. Think about that. You know, what sort of a deen is that? What about in private? Not bothered. Mujahid, rahmatullah, he recited this verse. 
in Surah Ar-Rahman, Surah 55, verse 46. But for he who feared the position of his Lord are two gardens. He explained. This refers to a person who is about to disobey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in private, but he remembers having to stand before him. Then out of fear of him, he decides not to disobey him. One, this is in Ibn Jarir in his tafsir. Let's look at this. So what does the Quran say? He who fears the maqam rabb. Maqam means either a house or a designated place, or it means a, a rank, a position. So here the maqam refers to the position. So what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say? He who fears the position of his Lord, he will have two gardens. Mujahid said, who is being honored here? Who is being referred to? It's the one in private. Shaitan provokes him, do something, commit a sin. And the person says, no, I'm going to stand before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is the one Allah Ta'ala's praise. So who is this person? He's more righteous privately. Now who was this verse revealed about? This verse was revealed about Abu Bakr Siddiq. <laughs> in Ibn Abi Hatim and his tafsir, according to Ibn Shawbad. Now think about that. You'd expect the greatest of men after the prophets to be in reference, but it was because of him. This verse was revealed. Whilst Abu Musa al-Ashari, he said, There shall be two gardens of gold for the foreigners in Islam and two gardens of silver for those who followed. This is in Hakim in his Mustadlaq Sahih, Anwarul Bayan. So what is being referred to? The foreigners are those who are closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the Sabiqun. The Sabiqun will have two gardens of gold. But those who followed them, meaning they're not as good as them, they're striving to be like them, they will have two gardens of silver. Abu Musa goes, that is the meaning of this verse. So Allah Ta'ala gives you your rewards in proportion to your striving. And this is why Allah Ta'ala says in another part of the Quran, man shall have nothing except what he strives for. So if you strive, you will achieve. Now people, they was strange. Actions speak louder than words. What do I mean by that? You see a person, and he's very healthy. You see him, you know, he looks very healthy. You see a glow of health coming off him. So, if you question him, say, you know, why are you looking so well? What's... He will start mentioning what he's doing. He goes, well, I go to the gym four times a week. I look after my diet. Uh, I do this and I do that. And he goes, right. So, you are now doing something with your intention to acquire something. And he goes, yes, that's right. So what are you striving for? You're striving for health. What did Abdullah ibn Masood say? He warned us here. And how many people are warned in this hadith? In Abu Nu'im al-Hiliya, Hayat al-Sahab, Abdullah ibn Masood, some Romans came, very healthy Romans. They had really muscular necks. <laughs> they were envoys of the Romans. So you can imagine... You know, big strappers like we say today. So they came and the people started looking at these Romans and they were impressed. They think, look, you know, they look really strong and healthy and the glow of health is, you know, on their face. So Abdullah ibn Masood noticed this. 
Now, what's interesting about Abdullah ibn Masood? He was a frail man. <laughs> he was short. He, had, you know, he was dark. He was complete opposite. So you're gonna picture the scene: two strapping Romans have come for some business, and the uh, Amir at the time is Abdullah ibn Masood, who's the opposite. So when Abdullah ibn Masood sees the two strapping Romans and he sees the men and women probably looking at these Romans, he said to them. He said, sometimes you see the unbelievers have very healthy bodies, but their hearts are dying. And sometimes you see the believers with very frail bodies, but, they are, but their hearts are abounding. So what's the first thing he said? He goes, do not, like we said, do not judge a book by its cover. He goes, these Romans, they look healthy, but the reality is they've got no deeds. So they're, they're, they're dead. And you see the believers, you notice sometimes he's frail, but he's beaming because he's got Iman. Then he said, I warn you that if you gear yourselves to steering yourselves to a healthy body, whilst at the same time letting your faith go to waste, you open yourself to the divine wrath just as you are susceptible to the divine wrath, just as the dung beetle cannot escape its food source. So what did the great Ibn Masood say? <laughs> he said that the dung beetle, you see it rolling dungo. You know, and if you think about it, you think, what a lowly creation. You know, it's after dung, right? And it's rolling it up. But it searches for it. That's his, you know, that's what Allah has created it for. It will search for dung. So just as the dung beetle can't escape the dung or the excrement, you have got a magnet now to the divine wrath. You're not going to escape the divine wrath. You've actually done something so stupid, you focus the divine wrath upon yourself. How? You are focusing on health. But you're letting your iman go to waste. So what was he really saying? You realize you it takes effort for health. You know, which person will say this? You take this pill, you'll be solid. It doesn't happen, right? You know, it's no matter what you do, it takes effort. Either you diet, you exercise, you do the, you this, you do that, you, you, you use weights, you know, you do whatever. It takes effort. So you understand that and you go through it with that understanding. Meaning the penny has dropped. I don't mind going through the hardship when I know what the ultimate result will be. But the same person, he's not willing to make even a fraction of the effort for his iman. So he's actually shown by his action, my health is far more important than my iman. That person, Ibn Masood said, has now opened himself, he's targeted himself for the divine wrath. And it's 100% true. You know, you actually go into the gyms and it's like a religion. It is a religion for these people. You see, they've actually, you know, it's like a ibadat. You know, some people even say, they put the, you know, what do you call them? The earpieces in to stop being distracted by others when they're training. You know, you ask him, Why, what, brother, you do this too many times, you don't want to talk to you. And afterwards, you know, he gets irritated, takes the, well, what do you want? And he's just asking, what to ask you, don't ask me after, right? And they, why? Because they realize you're disturbing my exercise. Same people when it comes to Iman. 
Do they get irritated when you are distracted? No, they're not bothered. Right? So that is a type of riya which Allah Ta'ala detests. Because you put your knowledge to, and you get some other people, you go, you go on and on. They got PhDs. PhDs. And they haven't got the strength to listen to a commentary of Surah Tikhlas. Oh, it's too deep. How can you make that statement? It's too deep. You got a PhD. What you should say is, this is not important to me. Right? So no priorities. Iman, health, and then wealth comes finally. But unfortunately, wealth is the most important thing to many. And look how much people strive for wealth. One job, two jobs, three jobs, invest, more invest. Health suffers because of it. Then you get a person with a little bit more intelligence. He's doing his wealth, but he's focused on his wealth, more, uh, his health more. Because why? What's the point? You know, I need to look after my health. Well, the most intelligent person is the one who works on his iman. Because it takes effort. It's going to hurt me, but I need to do it. And eventually you notice the fruits. And this is why Imam Ahmad, what did he say? Rahmatullah Hafiz ibn Qayyim in his Uddatul Sabirin, number 10. Chivalry is to abandon what you <coughs> desire because of what you fear. Chivalry is to abandon what you desire because of what you fear. Now think about that. Look at that word. Very interesting word in English. Chivalry. He's chivalrous. So you ask a person, what does that mean? He says, oh, it means he's, uh, he's noble. He goes, so chivalry means noble because it means more than that. But it, what else does it mean? It means he's brave. Okay. What else does it mean? He's generous. <clears throat> so it's a very interesting word. Very hard to you know give the meaning of it. Imam Ahmad, he gave you the meaning. Subhanallah. He goes, this is what chivalry is. Is to abandon your desire because of what you fear. So you desire committing sins. You go, no, I'm not going to do it. Because you are chivalrous. You're a noble person. Look how they work these, you know, interesting words, the meaning of these words out. So who was the most chivalrous person? Rasulullah. Who were the next most chivalrous? The companions. Who were the next most chivalrous? The salaf. Why? Because they abandoned their desire for what they feared. Whilst according to Bishr ibn al-Harith rahmatullahi in Abu Na'im al-Hilya, you will not find the sweetness of worship until you place a steel door between yourself and your desires. You will not find the sweetness of worship until you place a steel barrier between yourself and your desires in Abu Nu'im al So we've got desires. Why is Allah Ta'ala given his desires? Because he wants you to be a muhsin. This is the answer. People go, no, no, you're testing here. And he goes, he's given you desires because he wants you to be a muhsin. He created shaitan. Why? Because he wanted sins to take place. Why? Because he wanted people to repent. Allah Ta'ala does everything for a reason. So if you put a steel barrier between yourself and your desires, Bilal, uh, Bishad ibn al-Harith said, you will taste the sweetness of worship. People say, I'm going through the motions, I'm not tasting anything. And one of the reasons is because you're not controlling your desires. In which time of the year do we finally taste some sweetness of worship? Ramadan. Ramadan. 
So why do you think that is? <laughs> because there's been a steel barrier between you and your desires. Once the farad fast, then you got all the other deeds that are Allah Ta'ala is helping you. He's took shaitana at the equation. So what happens? All of a sudden you're playing and you think, whoa, what's this? What's this I'm feeling? And then you think, I need to trap this, bottle it. But then it goes. Why have you tasted sweetness of worship? Because you put a steel barrier between yourself and your desires. And this is why at the end of Ramadan, coming to the end of Ramadan, people grieve. Why? You ask him, why are you upset with it? And he goes, Ramadan's going. And then he goes, no, but why really are you upset? And the reality is because they know that sweetness will go. He goes, we're going to go back to our old ways. And then we know what's going to happen. But this is not for everybody. The Oliya continue with the sweetness of their worship. And what did they say to finish? One of the Salaf, Rahmatullah, they said something amazing. He said, if the unbelievers knew how much joy we get from our, from our night worship, they would wage war against us to acquire it. <laughs> so think about it. Imagine all the kuffar armies coming now to attack the Muslims. So you're thinking, why are they all united? Because they're after something. Because what are they after? Are they after our land? No. Are they after our astaghfirullah, our families, women, wealth? No. Why are they all united? It must be something important. He goes, yes. They are trying to capture the sweetness of your worship at night. They're fighting for that. I'll be honest. What are you on about? One of the salaf said they would do it because they haven't tasted anything. So what were they experiencing? Think about it. We think sweetness means like you have a pakora. Oh, mashallah. I felt very good there, right? When you go jihad for the pakora, right? There's something else. So that's why one of the salaf, when he would see the sun setting, because he he'd get, you know, like agitated. You know, like sweat would start pouring because he was very anxious. And when the sun was, uh, when the fajr time was about to enter, he'd grieve. So somebody once asked him, I think his family member, he goes, why do you always go through this state? Because when the sun is setting, he goes, I'm going to meet my Lord. Because I can't wait to meet him. But when the sun, when the fajr time enters, I'm going to meet you. And he goes, I grieve. So what? Stay. There's the secret. He's, having, he's tasting something. He wants to be with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Who doesn't? Right? And this is why the hadith says that those who offer tahajjud, they have the most brightest faces. And what's interesting? That in the darkest rooms, why are their faces become bright? When you torture a person in darkness, his face goes dark. It doesn't go bright. So why is this guy, who just like the guy being tortured, spending half his life in darkness, why is his face shining? Because he's with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah has given him as a gift. Tahajjid. And tahajjid also means to struggle. That's interesting. So maybe the initial part is struggling, but eventually it becomes a, you know, a, a pleasure. And we ask Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for such priceless blessings. So all I mentioned again today was talking about this priceless quality of ihsan. And note, it's something we need to strive for wholeheartedly. Are there any questions you'd like to ask?